Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're so honored that you're joining us today. The word Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. And we believe here at Kalos that the words and the ways of Jesus are very beautiful. That's why each week we're bringing content to make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and jump right in to this last Sunday's sermon. Okay, who here, who here gets distracted easily? Awesome. If I had a dollar for every time I got distracted, I want some ice cream. You know what I'm saying? Like, distractions are all around us. Some of you guys are trying to register what just happened. I got distracted. And I'm illustrating that with that funny joke that's making us all laugh on the same page. And I've united this room, not divided us. So anyways, uh, I I feel like historically, lands were colonized by war and power. In our current cultural moment, minds are being colonized by distraction. You know, we have companies that are fighting for your attention. Social media, advertisements, Netflix, everybody wants your attention. And uh, I, I feel like if you don't realize that when you use a product that's free, If the product is free, that's because you are the product, and companies are paying for your attention, and they're selling your attention to advertisers so that they can stay in business. That's how Facebook, Instagram, that's how TikTok is working. They are fighting for your attention. Any wonder why we're such a distracted people group. And this is dangerous. Tim Wu, the author, writes, when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to, whether by choice or default. And so all of the places, out of all of the places I find myself distracted is when I try to pray. Anybody with me? It's like I try to pray and I'm so distracted. I love the Psalm 27.4 that says, One thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. I I love this. I read this, and I get inspired, and I'm like, Lord, I'm going to give all my attention to you. I want to seek you with all of my heart. So today is the day. I'm going to have a robust, prayerful life. So I get in my prayer area, and then I start to pray, but then I feel a phantom vibration in my pants. And I'm like, oh, I must have got an important notification. I pull out my phone. There's no notification. I'm just addicted to my phone. Anybody with me? And so I I realize uh, something is weird, but then there's an Instagram notification, actually. So I go, oh, well, let's see what's going on there. So I I look at my Instagram notification, but then I see the reels, and uh, I spend a lot of time there. I'm spending too much time there, but then I'm triggered by one of them, so I start to doom scroll. And so now I'm looking at all the bad news of the world. Then I start to feel guilty about that. So then I start watching all these pickleball clips to just cleanse my mind. But then I see a Twitter notification. I'm like, Kanye said what? And then I'm just on a whole other rabbit trail. And then an hour has passed by, and I'm like, ah, I wish I had time to pray. (laughs) Who has time to pray these days? Is that anybody's testimony today? It's like we're so distracted, especially when it comes to the time of prayer. Well, I want to encourage you from a quote from the Syrian bishop from the 7th century. And he writes, If at the time when the mind is praying and it is distracted by any extraneous thought or worry about anything, then this prayer is not called pure. 
Your prayers are impure. Sorry, no, that was the wrong quote. Let me give a more encouraging and relatable quote from the North African church father, Augustine. Even the straws under my knees shout to distract me from prayer. That's a little better, better, right? I can relate to that more. Thanks, Isaac Nineveh, for judging us. Everybody gets distracted. Everybody gets distracted when it comes to prayer. But what if I told you your distracted mind is not by accident, that there are companies that are going after your attention? But even more than that, there are spiritual works at work to get your mind focused on anything but prayer. Samuel Chadwick writes, The one concern of the devil, a spiritual evil force, the one concern of the devil is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. How many of you believe in the power of prayer? Hands up all over the, the room. How many of you are happy with your prayer life? Three hands in the room. I don't think this is by accident. I think if the enemy of our souls could stop us from doing anything, it would be strategic to stop us from praying, and it seems like it's working. I wrote it like this. Weapons of mass distraction are keeping us from prayer, and a prayerless church becomes a powerless church. Remember, prayer isn't just preparation for the greater work. It is the greater work. The church was birthed in a prayer movement and will be sustained just the same. This is why we as a community want to be a people of prayer. In fact, in our five-year church history as Kalos Church, every August and every January, we have hosted 21 days of prayer and fasting. And that has sustained our church as we pray before every service and we invite the Holy Spirit into our hearts, into our lives, into our hands, into our ministry as we pray in our homes. This has sustained the work of ministry for thousands of years and it continues to sustain us today. We need prayer. Jesus is so passionate about prayer. Throughout the scriptures, we see God, who is perfect, taking time to spend the night praying. When was the last time you spent all night praying? We see him praying privately, but also publicly. Many times he would pray and he would say, I'm not just praying for my sake, but I'm praying for those who hear me praying that they might benefit. He prayed in his time of suffering before dying on the cross. Prayer was important to Jesus. I think this is one of the reasons that we don't really see, to my memory, the disciples saying, Jesus, teach us how to preach. But we do see them ask, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Because they saw that he was a man of prayer. And he was a man of power. And there must be something to this discipline in his life. He prayed a lot. And one of the few times in scripture where we see Jesus get outwardly angry is when he sees people distracted and prevented from prayer. Let's read about this in Mark 11. When they arrived back in Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out the people, buying and selling animals for sacrifices. He knocked over the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. And he stopped everyone from using the temple as a marketplace. He said to them, the scriptures declare, my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But you have turned it into a den of thieves. 
So Jesus walks into the temple. He sees that there's a hustle and a bustle. People are wheeling and dealing. They're buying and trading. They're selling merchandise. And he says, I don't want this. And he starts to tip over tables. He starts to chase out the animals. And then in John 2, it says, Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. So Jesus has began to, to whip. And maybe this goes against what we've imagined Jesus as this like quiet and calm in this passive forest. He's actually pretty intense. When I was a youth pastor a number of years ago, I, I wanted to illustrate the severity of this moment in the temple. And so I thought, how can I, I connect with the young people? And I ended up creating something pretty sacrilegious, just in my attempt of uh, contextualizing the gospel and being relevant. And uh, uh, I made a video to demonstrate this moment. Uh, you wouldn't want to see this sacrilegious video, would you? What you do? Oh, my. Okay, uh, all right. I'll show you the video and judge you at the same time. Uh, I just want to say, before you judge me, the song Watch Me Whip had just became very popular. Okay? And I was trying to connect with the young people. So don't judge me. All right, let's watch this video. Don't judge me. <laughs> and if you clap, I judge you. <laughs> I repented. I repented. <laughs> But it demonstrates how intense this moment in the scripture is. You saw that guy watching him whip. He was like, what in the world is happening right now? And, and, and this is something that we, we've used to say, okay, we don't want the house of prayer, the church, the temple. We don't want it to be a den of thieves. We want to be a house of prayer. And so I've actually heard sermons saying, that's why we can't ever sell coffee or pastries in the church. It becomes a den of thieves. We can't actually sell t-shirts or anything like that because we don't want a den of thieves. And that, that's a compelling sermon. And it makes sense until you take just a moment to kind of study how people worshiped in the temple in the Old Testament. And I, I believe something actually more powerful is at work here. Jesus was upset because he saw people being prevented and distracted from prayer. But I, I want to let you know that it wasn't just the wheeling and dealing of money that made him upset. To, to understand that, let's read some of the requirements for temple worship found in Deuteronomy 14. The scriptures say, you must set aside a tithe of your crops, one-tenth of all the crops you harvest each year. Bring this tithe into the designated place of worship. And yes, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at the same time. But there are designated places of worship throughout the scripture. So uh, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored, and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, and the firstborn males of your flocks and herds. Doing this uh, will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. Now, when the Lord your God blesses you with a good harvest, the place of worship he chooses for his name to be honored might be too far for you to bring the tithe. If so, you may sell the tithe portion of your crops and herds, put the money in a pouch, and go to the place your Lord has chosen. When you arrive, you may use this money to buy any kind of food you want. 
So he's saying, hey, uh, if you have to travel far, exchange your money and take your money to the temple worship. So the, the, the Jewish scriptures is saying, bring money to the temple. And when you arrive, you may use the money to buy any kind of food that you want. Cattle, sheep, goats, wine, or other alcoholic drink. Then feast here in the presence of the Lord your God and celebrate with your household. So there are instructions in the Old Testament to buy and trade animals for the worship of God in the designated place of worship. We see this in the scripture. So then why is Jesus so upset that people are buying animals for worship and trading the money? Right? Have you ever thought that? What, what's going on here in the scripture? But what I, I believe is happening is that foreigners who had come to worship were being exploited for money. What do I mean by that? Let me explain. Uh, I, I've been working with Fatu on this building project for a long time. And so I've been looking at blueprints. And so I want to show you some blueprints of this temple that Jesus worshipped in and tipped over tables in. This was called Herod's temple. And so we see this area. And so in the middle, there's the temple building. And these were designated for only the holiest of the Jewish people to worship. The temple buildings where the Holy of Holies were, where the high priest could go. But then you had other areas. There's a lot of segregation in this temple. In the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we have the court of women where women could worship only Jewish women. But I want you to notice on the outside, there's what's called the court of Gentiles. This was the one place in the temple where foreigners known as Gentiles could worship. You're either Jewish or you were a Gentile. So all the foreigners were designated to worship in the court of Gentiles. Let me show you another picture. This is more of a diagram. So you see all of these different areas that are segregated for worship. And on the outside, to get to any of the areas, you would go through the court of Gentiles. And so the, the, the money changers, the merchants, the business people, they decided to set up shop here in the court of Gentiles. The only place that foreigners could worship and pray. So imagine you're a foreigner. You're from a different nationality. You look different than the Jewish people. You finally come to worship this Jewish God, but then you see there's animals and animals pooping and there's distractions and there's tables set up and you hear the, the tingling and the, the, the jingling of coins and people bartering it and yelling out and you're trying to pray to God. You're trying to have this moment with God, but you're distracted by people who are trying to make money on the backs of foreigners. That would reasonably make Jesus upset. I wanted the Jewish people not to be exclusive, but you were supposed to be a signpost for all nations to be blessed with the God of all creation. And yet you're making money on the backs of foreigners? I'm tipping over your tables. I'm chasing out all of this merchandising. This is not okay. And Jesus, when he's angry, he quotes from the book of Isaiah in chapter 56, a beautiful prophetic vision of what the house of prayer ought to be. Jesus didn't just make up that term house of prayer. He's actually quoting. Let's read this beautiful scripture. And I, I, I think you'll see that something deeper is going on here than just selling. It's preventing foreigners from praying. Isaiah 56, 3 says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. 
And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commits their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name. Talk about a legacy far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest, and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem, and I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. That's what Jesus quoted. For the sovereign Lord who brings back the outcasts of Israel says, I will bring others too besides my people Israel. Isn't that a beautiful scripture? Because the reality here is we serve a global God. God is not just the God of America. He's a Lord of all the nations. Can I get a good amen? amen? We serve a global God. And so what's happening here? I wrote it like this. Jesus flipped tables in the court of Gentiles, the one place foreigners could go in the temple to pray. Merchants praying on foreigners trying to pray is what made Jesus angry. He quotes Isaiah's prophetic vision for the temple being a house of prayer for all nations. Our churches shouldn't make it difficult for foreigners to pray with us. And if you're uncomfortable with diversity, you're going to hate eternity. Can I get a better amen? And so Jesus isn't just looking for a group of people to pray for the less fortunate in other nations. No, it's not that ethnocentric. Jesus is looking for a group that represents all nations to pray. And when he sees people coming to this prophetic vision where they're coming to pray and worship the God of all creation, but then he sees foreigners being exploited for money, he reasonably gets upset and says, no, we are called to pray together. You know, and I don't know if you've noticed this at Kalos Church, but our church has become extremely diverse. And I think there's a prophetic vision that's being fulfilled right now. I think something beautiful is happening where our, our diversity isn't for the sake of diversity, but it's a fruit of our unity under the banner of Jesus Christ. That when we lift up the name of Jesus, he is drawing the nations to himself. And I, I want to notice here, though, that we are called to not just exploit people, but we're a place of prayer for all nations. And even just full disclosure, as we're praying about financially investing in this building project and our family ministries, I just want to make it clear. It's not for the exploitation of people, but so that we can benefit this diverse group of prayer warriors we have here at Kalos Church. I don't want us to be a place that steps on foreigners to make money. But I want us to use our money to lift up the nations in the presence of God. Yeah. You know, to be honest, I, I've been a brown man in a lot of white churches. And I've gone to churches because I, I saw a billboard that had a, a lot of white people and then one black person, they say, come to our diverse church. I show up and I'm like, what in the world? I am the only one that looks like me. Has anybody ever had that experience? And I, I'm just saying, we cannot let diversity be an aesthetic to the build the church. But we're a prayer that includes the prayers of people who are going through different pains than us. 
Diversity is not something for a stage to just make things feel good. It's not a marketing strategy, but it's saying, hey, if we're going to be a diverse church, that means we're going to be praying about issues of racism differently than if we were an all-white church. It means if we're a prayer with all nations, that means that we might be praying alongside some brothers and sisters who are praying in a different way that makes us a little uncomfortable. And I think that's good. I think it's good for us to be uncomfortable and challenged. And I don't want you to feel alone when something's grieving in your heart and you feel like, ah, in this church, people just don't understand me. My prayers are different. No, we're a prayer of all nations for all nations. Our diversity is not an aesthetic. It's us being a family under the banner of Jesus Christ. Can I get a better amen? amen. And so that's going to cause us, yeah, you can give Jesus a round of applause for that. And so... This love of money caused people to set up a barrier from people praying and worshiping on the backs of foreigners. And don't get me started on the history of slavery in America and how the churches endorsed that because guess who gave money to the church? A lot of slaveholders. And so then preachers feel like they had to preach messages to appease those people. But we cannot let our love of money get in the way of all nations praying their prayers worshiping their worship to our global God. Amen. Amen. You know, my, my sister, uh, she called me on the phone uh, last summer, and she said, hey, can you explain what happened to me? Uh, I just had a moment in the presence of something that just was a radical encounter, and I, I don't feel like I'm ever the same again. And she's like, tell me what happened. And she said, uh, I went to this holy place. And I was like, you went to a holy place? I was like, what, what in the world? Because my sister, her name is Pradeepa. My name is Pradeepan. Uh, my family obviously has a lot of creativity. She is uh, seven years older than me. And she's always been way cooler than me. We've been so similar. And so uh, I never had a competitive advantage because she could just do what I did but better. And uh, when I became a Christian, I really wanted my family to come to church. And I would invite my sister, who was so cool, like Variety Magazine called her one of the 40 voices under 40 to watch. She's uh, been a star in movies. She's had a great career choreographing like uh, music videos and has like been involved with the music industry right now. She created like the BuzzFeed of Sri Lanka and uh, is creating their first animation studio right now. She's just way cooler than I'll ever be. And I try to get her to come to this church when I became a Christian in Minnesota. Minnesota, and she was just like, hey, hey, little brother, full disclosure, I'm not coming to that white church of yours. She would just say that to me. I go there, and I see that blue-eyed, blonde-haired Jesus. I, I'm uncomfortable. I've never been around this many white people. It's just a very uncomfortable experience for me. I don't resonate with that music. I, I don't want to be part of this European Jesus thing you're a part of. And uh, I was like, okay. And I'd just given my life to Jesus. I didn't know all the dynamics of American history. I was just a young teenager who loved God, and my life was changed. And I'm trying to reach my sister with the gospel. And that, that's why uh, this story is so crazy, because I've been praying for my sister to have an encounter with Jesus for over 20 years. She goes to this holy site, this uh, Benedictine abbey. It's a sanctuary in Spain that has this ancient carving that the historical church called the the Black Madonna. And it's a carving of Jesus and his mother Mary, but the skin color is brown. And my sister had never seen anything like this before. And so she sees this carving, and 
the presence of God just starts to wash over us, and she sees herself in the image of Jesus. She sees herself in this moment, and she has an encounter with God. And she begins to cry, and she says, like, there's this energy that washed over me. And it was like it was cleansing me. And it made me feel lighter. And it feels like my past doesn't define me. And she told me the story on the top of Rattlesnake Ledge right here in Washington. And she said, little brother, from that moment on, I've decided I'm cool with Jesus. And she decided to become a follower of Jesus Christ. And why am I sharing this story? To, con- to condemn you and give you some more white guilt if you have it? No. We need some white brothers and sisters in the house of God. Can I get a good amen? I'm, I'm just saying representation matters. And this prophetic vision for a house of prayer of all nations, for all nations, it matters in the Old Testament and right now. And I feel like right now what we're experiencing at Kalos Church is part of that anointing. It's part of that calling. Because we're not diverse just for the sake of diversity. We are diverse under the fruit of Jesus Christ unifying us from all tongues, tribes, and nations. And this is beautiful. And our heart and legacy, even building this building, is that we could become a place where people encounter not just us, but the presence of God like my sister did. I want us to have a place where we can host the presence of God, where we can, yes, minister to one another, but we can minister to Jesus in our prayers. In our worship, remember the first commandment was to love God, even before we love one another. We want a designated time, space, a designated place of worship where people from backgrounds where maybe you never felt like you could belong in church, but then you look around the people here and you're like, oh, I look like these people. I can look like my Jesus too. That is our prayer. And that's what we're partnering for in this legacy offering. I don't want to be a church that prevents people from prayer. I don't want to give in to my love of money to set up merchants in the house of prayer. So I've made a decision. I will use my money to create a house of prayer for all nations. And before we just stand here and judge the religious leaders for being such bad people, for allowing such messes, I, I want to bring another uh, piece of light to this moment. Because the scriptures also say, yes, there are designated places of physical worship areas, but we too are the temples of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6 says, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a man can commit is outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Verse 19, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. So we, yes, we have designated places of worship, but we too are temples of a living God. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. And I want to invite the Holy Spirit to even uh, search our hearts and maybe convict us with this question. If you are the temple of God, are you a house of prayer or a den of thieves? What tables would Jesus flip in the temple of your heart? Have you allowed the love of money to get in the way of prayer? like they did in this story with Jesus? Have you allowed the love of social media and distractions to get in the way of your high calling to be a house of prayer, a temple of the living God? Have you allowed worry and all of the cares of this world keep you from being a person of prayer? If Jesus walked into the temple of your life, what tables would he 
flip. Because I know many of us aren't happy with our prayer lives. But Jesus is willing to flip these tables, not in an act of hatred or condemnation, because he wants that connection with you. He wants to flip the tables in your heart so that there's no barrier between you and God. Because remember, he wants all nations to be welcome into a house of prayer. And guess what? That includes me and that includes all of us. Jesus is welcoming all of us into this connection with him. But I know that there are sometimes barriers. I'm a pastor today. I'm preaching about prayer, but I'm not always proud of my prayer life. I remember, especially in the height of the pandemic, our, our second child had received a special needs diagnosis after our first child had received the same. And I was beginning to feel bitterness and resentment. And I was like, Lord, why even pray? It doesn't work, obviously. This isn't the result I wanted. And I, I began to just neglect my prayer life. I was isolated. Nobody saw me. And I, I love my children, but I, I had to reorient some of the dreams I had for them, some of the things that I was putting on them. But I couldn't pray about it. I could pray about the church. I could pray about everything else. But I couldn't pray about my children. And I had this, this distraction. How are we going to pay for all of these bills, these supplements that insurance doesn't cover? How are we going to get all the ABA therapy covered? How is this going to happen? And the cares for money started to block me from prayer. And I was replaced with worry. And then a group, to be honest, a, a people from Kalos Church said, uh, Pastors Pradeep and Amrita, we know you can't pray about your children. So we're going to come over to your house and we're just going to pray for you and with you. They came over to our house, about 12 to 15 people, and uh, put on some music and began to pray. And, and to be honest, for two hours, I didn't pray one word. I just, I couldn't. I couldn't pray one word. But these people came in and they just prayed the words that we weren't able to say. And they created a holy place in our house. And they said, hey, we don't want to get in the way of your prayer. We want to bring you to a place of prayer, doing the opposite of what these merchants did. People from different nationalities, from different states, from different backgrounds, creating a house of prayer in our home. And it was just a, such a beautiful moment. And our desire is that Kalos could be that for all of us, for all of us who feel like we struggle with our prayer lives. Maybe at least one place in your week you could know I can connect with God. And hopefully it, it, will, it will just infect every other part of your life. I know I can pray. I do it every week. I know I can pray on my own because I pray with the body of Christ. And that's what began to happen to us. And a, a, a praise report at the end of that prayer meeting, glory to God, our, our daughter, she actually lost her special needs diagnosis in her public school. God heard the prayer of our heart. A prayer that we couldn't even pray ourselves at the time. And I believe that he wants you to have some breakthroughs in your life. And so will you partner with us in creating a house of prayer for all nations? I believe it's worth it. And I believe that it's going to continue to make a difference in people like my sister, in people like us, in people like you who desperately need to be connected to the living God. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you want to be connected with us. Thank you that you've de designated times and places for people of all nations, for all of us who have felt like, I just don't look right to be a church person. I just don't fit in. I just don't belong. I just, I don't understand the language and the culture. Thank you, Lord, that you, you have created a place where people from all dialects, backgrounds, persuasions can come and worship you. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us be your house of prayer for all nations. 
In the name of Jesus, everybody said amen and amen. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.